Business is battle. On Business Wars, we learn what it takes to win by looking closely at ambitious battles like the one in our latest series, WWF versus WCW. And our new book, The Art of Business Wars, gets to the very heart of each conflict, unearthing all the valuable lessons. Go to Wondery.com slash The Art of Business Wars to order your copy now. Join Wondery Plus to listen to Business Wars one week early and ad-free in the Wondery app. Download the Wondery app in your Apple or Google Play mobile app store today. A listener note, this episode originally aired in 2019. This episode contains adult content. It's Friday, November 1st, 1996, and in Walton, Kentucky, Vince McMahon's exploring the large colonial home of wrestler Brian Pillman. The curly, blonde-haired Pillman is a rising star in the WWF, but he's out of action after shattering his ankle in a car crash. So McMahon's keeping him in the spotlight with a storyline about a feud he's having with thuggish WWF star Stone Cold Steve Austin. Now, to keep the fictional feud going, McMahon's planning a major surprise. And that's why he's checking out Pillman's pad. As Pillman hobbles behind him with his foot in a cast, McMahon surveys the basement lounge. He spots a side door with a glass window pane. We'll film it here. Pillman flops onto the cream-colored couch to rest his broken ankle. So, what do you need from me? Sit there just like you are now, but with your wife at your side. We'll have the interviewer in this chair here. The angle is Stone Cold Steve Austin's coming for you. He's going to invade your home. You got to defend your castle. You got a gun? Uh, yeah, I got a 9mm Glock. Good. Hold that in the interview. Show it off. Austin will break in by smashing in the window of that side door. And when he gets in, I want pandemonium. Your wife is screaming, you're waving your gun, and then we cut. Okay? We'll say the live feed went down. Okay. Anything else? The feed returns at the end of the show. Austin fled after seeing your gun, but then he returns. Your friends hold him back, but you've totally lost it. You're yelling and you're pointing your gun and threatening to kill Austin. And then, just when it looks like you're going to pull the trigger, the show ends. Wow. When are we taping it? We're not. It's got to feel real. We'll broadcast it live on Monday. So remember, don't swear. McMahon wants to step away from WWF's PG-rated thrills. WCW's beaten WWF in the Monday ratings for 20 weeks running. McMahon thinks shock tactics are the answer. When the scenes from Pillman's home air that Monday, viewers are shocked. The action's so convincing that some even call the police. Angry parents flood the USA network with complaints. USA Vice President Wayne Becker is also watching. As Raw's final moments play out, he sees a wild-eyed and armed Pillman yelling. All right. Becker frowns. Did Pillman just drop an F-bomb? For Becker, it's the final straw. He's had enough of McMahon's flirtations with bad taste. He wants USA to dump Raw. And if he gets his way, 
the WWF is finished. Enjoy a powerful business upgrade with Dell Technologies' Black Friday in July event. Get amazing savings with up to 50% off high-performance computers and tech built for business. And be able to take your office with you with Windows 10 Pro. Plus, get great offers on Dell servers, monitors, docks, and more, all with easy financing options through Dell Financial Services. Call 877-ASK-DELL. That's 877-ASK-DELL. And speak with a Dell Technologies advisor today. Louisiana's diverse landscapes include dense timber forests and seafood-rich coastlines. And every step along the way, you'll find a business environment that's strong, diverse, and ripe with opportunity. Need proof? Louisiana is where NASA and higher ed partners build rockets that will soon put the first women on the moon. It's also where the port system delivers the most domestic cargo in the U.S. And Louisiana is home to the best workforce development program in the country. See what Louisiana economic development can do for you. Visit OpportunityLouisiana.com today. From Wondery, I'm David Brown, and this is Business Wars. On the last episode, WCW conquered Monday nights by inventing the NWO, a band of renegade wrestlers who want to take control of the company. The WWF is down, but not out. Its boss, Vince McMahon, is planning a comeback soaked in controversy. But to make it work, he will shatter the boundaries of good taste and leave the fans and wrestlers alike stunned. This is Episode 5, Shock Tactics. It's November 5th, 1996, and in a conference room in Midtown Manhattan, Vince McMahon is getting chewed out by USA CEO Kay Koplovitz. She's on the warpath over yesterday's episode of Monday Night Raw, the one where stone-cold Steve Austin broke into the home of a pistol-packing Brian Pillman. Your stunt lit up our switchboard like Times Square. We got not hundreds, but thousands of complaints. And I'm sick of hearing complaints about your show. She grabs a remote control from the table and presses play. The TV behind her starts playing WWF's most outrageous moments from the past year. Footage of androgynous wrestler Goldust pushing an opponent's face toward his crotch. Steve Austin giving fans the middle finger. Roddy Piper beating Goldust with a baseball bat and promising to make a man out of him. And last night's offering of Brian Pillman dropping the F-word on live TV. Koplovitz pauses the video and turns back to McMahon. That stuff is not fun, and it's not for kids. Not to mention it breaches the standards in the contract you signed with us. McMahon holds his hands up. You're right. We took things too far yesterday. We wanted to get audience attention, and it came across as more real than we anticipated. I promise the swearing was unintentional. That was unacceptable. I'll make a public apology on the next episode. But McMahon's remorse only goes so far. 
The home invasion stunt helped Raw cut into WCW Monday Nitro's lead in the ratings. During one quarter-hour segment, Raw even tied with Nitro. It convinces McMahon that he can win by outdoing WCW on Outrage. He figures that even if WCW Chief Eric Bischoff follows suit, the higher-ups at Turner Broadcasting will stop him. Even so, McMahon knows this is a high-wire business strategy. He's got to dial up the sex and violence without USA shutting him down. And he's not the only man with a plan. It's January 1997, and a police convoy heads through the dark, snow-covered streets of downtown Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Behind the cops are garbage trucks, and hanging off the back of them are the rebel wrestlers of the NWO, WCW's pretend enemies within. Bischoff thinks garbage trucks are a good fit for NWO's image of gritty anti-establishment cool. The wrestlers cling to the dust carts, whooping and cheering and trying to ignore the freezing cold. It's 20 below zero, and they're wearing jeans, t-shirts, and leather jackets. The procession of garbage trucks stops at the Five Seasons Center Arena, and the NWO squad swarm in through a backstage door. Viewers at home see the NWO stars enter the arena swaggering and posing like a street gang. Leading them is Hollywood Hogan, as Hulk Hogan is now known. Tonight is a WCW pay-per-view, but it's not billed as one. Instead, it's branded as an NWO show. Since its inception six months ago, the NWO's renegade wrestlers have been electrifying fans. Their manufactured rebellion is lighting a fire under WCW's TV ratings, live ticket sales, and merchandising revenues. Black t-shirts stamped with the NWO's white spray-painted logo are now must-have items for WCW fans. WCW thought it would lose a million dollars in 1996, but thanks to the NWO, it delivered profits of more than $3.5 million. Now, Bischoff wants to build on that momentum. He plans to split WCW and NWO into two separate wrestling promotions. WCW shows will cater to the PG family audience. NWO will be the alternative for young adults. Together, they will assault the WWF from two fronts. Bischoff hopes this dual attack will push the WWF into being too edgy for families, but too juvenile for everyone else. However, for the plan to work, He's got to be sure the NWO can stand alone from the WCW. And that's what tonight's all about. Over the next two and a half hours, viewers get a taste of wrestling NWO style. There's an industrial-looking set and strobing lights, explosions, thundering drums, and crunching guitar riffs. It's enough to make the everyday families in the Iowa arena look like hostages in a Marilyn Manson video. As the show continues, the audience's expression slowly changes from bewildered to bored. They expected a wrestling show. Instead, they're enduring cringe-inducing sideshows like the 
Miss NWO contest where local female bikers straddle motorcycles while answering innuendo-laden questions. By the main event, the audience seems half asleep. They chat among themselves and cheer half-heartedly. Even the firecrackers signaling the entrance of Hollywood Hogan fail to ignite any enthusiasm. When Hogan celebrates his in-the-ring victory by yanking off his opponent's trunks to expose his buttocks, the comatose crowd barely responds. The pay-per-view sales compound the disappointment. Only 170,000 people paid for the show, far below the 250,000 buys the average WCW pay-per-view gets. It's a setback that forces Bischoff to shelve his plan to crush the WWF between the WCW and the NWO. But while Bischoff hits a roadblock in Iowa, Vince McMahon has been making friends. It's February 24th, 1997, and backstage at the Manhattan Center in New York City, WWF announcer Jerry Lawler is trying to wrap his head around McMahon's latest stunt. I don't get it. Why do you want ECW here? They're small enough to live in an ant farm. McMahon's been flirting with the idea of bringing extreme championship wrestling onto his show for months. ECW is an underground wrestling promotion that works out of a former bingo hall in Philadelphia. And it's won a cult following with its brutal Anything Goes brand of wrestling. McMahon peers over his thin-rimmed spectacles at the round-faced ex-wrestler. Yes, ECW isn't on par with us, not even close. But they bring energy and unpredictability, and we need that. ECW will also show viewers what a sham NWO is. I still don't like it. I hate what they do. Good. It's supposed to be a rivalry. Use that. ECW matches are vicious and bloody. Wrestlers have battled in rings with mats covered in thumbtacks and ropes made of barbed wire. Wrestlers have been set on fire, bashed with frying pans, cut with knives, and punctured with staple guns. One fighter even stubbed a cigarette out on his opponent's eye. The cigarette incident was faked, but given the promotion's reputation for violence, the crowd left the match convinced it was real. McMahon doesn't want anything that extreme, but he does want ECW street cred to rub off on WWF. In return, ECW gets to hawk its first-ever pay-per-view to the million-plus viewers of Monday Night Raw. Eight minutes into that night's show, the ECW invasion begins. Two ECW wrestlers storm into the ring, grab a scared-looking ring attendant, and kick him to the floor. Next, a man wearing a black trench coat and baseball cap enters the ring. He's Paul Heyman, the boss of ECW. Your challenge has been accepted! ECW is in the What did I tell you, McMahon, huh? After the dramatic entrance, Heyman joins McMahon and Lawler at the ringside announcer's desk. As viewers watch a mix of WWF matches and safe-for-primetime ECW bouts, the three announcers trade insults. Hey, McMahon, I gotta tell you something. You impress me as an announcer. 
if this WWF thing does not work out for you, yeah. we could actually give you a job in ECW. Thank you. I appreciate yeah, that. I've seen some of your shows. You need an announcer. <laughs> The crossover with ECW doesn't do much for Raw's ratings, but it sends a message to hardcore fans that WWF is moving on from its reputation as a kids' wrestling show. And it's just as well, because the WCW is about to increase the pressure. It's summer 1997, and in the CNN Center in Atlanta, WCW boss Eric Bischoff and a group of senior Turner Broadcasting executives are grappling with Ted Turner's latest edict. Turner's so pleased with Monday Nitro's ratings that he's decided there should be a second primetime WCW show. He wants a live two-hour broadcast every Thursday to soak up ad dollars from car dealerships, movie studios, and other advertisers that spend big in the lead-up to the weekend. Now, it's up to Bischoff and these executives to make Turner's orders reality. One executive asks Bischoff to estimate the cost of the new show. Well, we're going to need a bigger production team. Maybe another uh, 40 people. We'll need to expand our roster of talent, too. If we just use the same wrestlers over and over, the fans will lose interest. Altogether... I guess we're looking at uh, 12 to 15 million a year to make the show. The executives around the table recoil. Since Time Warner took over, life at Turner Broadcasting has gotten more corporate. They've got double-digit profit growth targets to meet. The cost of WCW's Thursday night show could be the difference between hitting or missing their targets. The head of TBS, the Turner network that will broadcast WCW's new show, jumps in. First off, Eric, you cannot hire more staff. Time Warner's imposed a recruitment freeze. Also, I'm not paying for the show. Bischoff's jaw drops. What? But you're the network. WCW is the production company. Technically, you're buying the show from us. I don't care. I'm not paying for it. Bischoff freezes. He doesn't want to foot the bill. After all, he's only just steered WCW into the black after years in the red. He's not even sure he wants to make this show, given the extra workload it will pile on his overstretched team. But what choice does he have? Ted Turner wants this show, and it's his name above the door. Besides, Turner's always been WCW's biggest champion. Surely he would understand if WCW falls back into the red. But what the Turner Broadcasting executives in the room aren't telling Bischoff is that Time Warner regards Turner as yesterday's man. Having bought his company last fall, Time Warner is already freezing Turner out and stripping him of his power. And as Turner's power seeps away, those within Turner Broadcasting who want to kill off WCW are sharpening their knives. Where's my order? Where's my order? Where's my order? Break free from customer support monotony. Welcome to Intercom for Customer Support, the business messenger that uses chatbots, shared inboxes, apps, and more. Intercom's Business Messenger resolves questions that can be answered automatically, so customer support feels less like Groundhog Day and more like help is on the way. 
Go to intercom.com support to learn more about Intercom's business messenger for customer support. Birthdays, holidays, promotions, getting that last sprinkle donut. There's a lot in this world worth celebrating, but nothing is worth celebrating more than knowledge, especially knowledge that will pay off, like understanding how compound interest works, knowing how to check your investment professional's background, or figuring out your risk tolerance, or finally understanding all those terms your friends keep throwing around like ETF, ESG, and ICO. Go to Investor.gov today to learn about these investment products and more. How much do you already know about investing? Find out by putting your financial knowledge to the test with their new investment quiz. Investor.gov is your unbiased resource for valuable investment information, tools, and tips. Before you invest, Investor.gov. It's October 6th, 1997, and the WWF is in a state of shock as it prepares to film Monday Night Raw in Kansas City. Last night, Brian Pillman was found dead in a Minnesota motel room. The autopsy will later find that the 35-year-old wrestler died from an undiagnosed heart condition. But right now, everyone thinks he died from a drug overdose. Pillman's been going off the rails for months, the line between him and his loose cannon wrestling persona melting away in a haze of prescription drugs and wrecked rental cars. For Vince McMahon, Pillman's sudden death spells trouble. He fears it'll spark a new drug scandal at the WWF, so he's moving fast to ensure that the WWF doesn't get blamed for Pillman's death. And that's why he's lined up a live interview with Pillman's wife, Melanie, less than 24 hours after her husband's death. As the commercial break draws to an end, McMahon checks the monitor, showing the live feed with Melanie at the Pillman residence. Melanie, you know you can still back out. He hears Melanie's response through his headset. No, it's fine. The interview is straight out of the Jerry Springer playbook after Melanie notes how injuries from a car crash contributed to Pillman's use of painkillers, McMahon probes deeper. Melanie, how are are the children taking Um, this news, and and do they understand? Well, um, a four-year-old doesn't understand, but um, Brittany understands. And, uh, you know, she just screamed for about 15 minutes. Have you had any opportunity to think about what you now as a single parent will do to support your five children? Vince, I don't even uh, really know what day it is, you know, so... uh... Backstage, horrified WWF wrestlers watch as Pillman's widow is served up as mass entertainment. But McMahon's hunger for controversy is just beginning. It's November 9th, 1997, and in Montreal, Canada, WWF champion and Canadian wrestling hero Bret Hart is defending his title against pretty boy grappler Shawn Michaels. It's taken weeks for McMahon, Hart, and Michaels to agree how this fight will play out. Hart is about to join WCW, so McMahon wanted him to lose to Michaels tonight. But Hart refused. He can't stand Michaels, and he doesn't want to lose the belt in his homeland. So, the three made a deal 
tonight's match will end in a disqualification. That way, Hart can forfeit his title at a later date outside Canada. In the final moments of the fight, Michaels pins Hart face down on the mat. And that's when Hart notices something strange. McMahon's standing at the side of the ring instead of being at the announcer's desk. McMahon turns to the bell ringer. Ring the bell! Ring the bell! As the bell tolls, Hart stares in shock. McMahon's double-crossed him and given his title to Michaels in front of his home crowd. Outraged fans fill the arena with angry cries. Hart leaps to his feet, overwhelmed with rage. He lunges to the ringside, leans over the ropes, and spits into McMahon's face. As McMahon wipes the spittle from his eyes, he yells at Michaels. Take the belt and get the hell out of here! As Michaels is whisked away, Hart goes on a rampage. He jumps from the ring and starts smashing TV monitors and flinging headsets into the crowd. Then he notices McMahon's gone. He storms backstage. McMahon has barricaded himself in his office. Hart tries in vain to smash down the steel door before stomping off to the locker room. After taking a shower, Hart emerges to find McMahon standing in the locker room. McMahon breaks the silence. You left me no choice. I'm sorry it had to happen this way. Hart explodes. Who are you kidding, you lying piece of Hart lunges and slams his fist into McMahon's jaw. The WWF boss is sent flying. He crashes onto the floor unconscious. Hart screams at the wrestlers stepping in to protect their boss. Get him the f- out of here or I will finish him. The wrestlers pull McMahon onto his feet and help him out of the locker room. In the weeks that follow the double cross, WWF fans turn on McMahon. At every event, McMahon finds himself greeted with boos and insults. Internet wrestling forums are filled with vitriol against the wrestling mogul. McMahon's shocked. He's used to being the straight man, the neutral observer. Now, he's the most hated man in wrestling. But rather than apologize, he turns it to his advantage. He becomes Mr. McMahon, the corrupt corporate puppeteer who screws over the fans' favorite wrestlers. In the wake of the betrayal in Montreal, Raw's ratings start climbing. By turning himself into the ultimate heel, McMahon's finally hit on a storyline powerful enough to tear viewers away from WCW Monday Nitro. And with WCW's lead crumbling, McMahon finally feels ready to shed WWF's PG skin. On December 15, 1997, Monday Night Raw opens with an address from McMahon. He stands in front of the camera in a checked beige suit and promises a new era at WWF. We in the WWF think that you, the audience, are quite frankly tired of having your intelligence insulted. We also think that you're tired of the same old simplistic theory of good guys versus bad guys. Surely the era of 
The superhero who urged you to say your prayers and take your vitamins is definitely passe. For years, McMahon chased the family audience and sought to make WWF entertainment for all. But now, he's going to use Monday Night Raw to reach out to a new audience. Young men who watch WCW. McMahon knows that he can only win them over by pushing the boundaries and cutting loose from the family viewers. So he's going to make Raw more outrageous, more raunchy, and more aggressive. And his break with the past has come just in time. After months of preparation, WCW is ready to launch its new Thursday night show, the show it hopes will cement WCW's ratings dominance once and for all. The final showdown between the WWF and WCW is beckoning, and only one will survive. On the next episode, WWF embraces the dark side. Eric Bischoff fights to save WCW, and a wildlife charity forces a big change at the WWF. From Wondery, this is Episode 5 of WWF versus WCW for Business Wars. If you like our show, please give us a five-star rating and a review, and be sure to tell your friends. Follow Business Wars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, the Wondery app, or wherever you're listening right now. Listen ad-free by joining Wondery+. Plus. You'll also find some links and offers from our sponsors in the episode notes. Supporting them helps us keep offering our shows for free. Another way you can support the show is by filling out a small survey at Wondery.com survey. And tell us which business stories you'd like to hear. A quick note about recreations you've been hearing. In most cases, we can't know exactly what was said. Those scenes are dramatizations, but they're based on historical research. I'm your host, David Brown. Tristan Donovan wrote this story. Karen Lowe is our senior producer and editor. Donna Hyams edited this story, produced by Emily Frost. Voice acting by Michelle Philippi. Kate Young is our associate producer. Our producer is Dave Schilling. Sound designed by Kyle Randall. Our executive producers are Jenny Lauer-Beckman and Marshall Louie. Created by Hernan Lopez. For Wondery. For over 100 years, General Motors was America's automaker. But after the 2008 financial crisis, the storied car company nearly died. Hi, I'm Lindsey Graham, host of Wondery Show Business Movers. We tell the true stories of business leaders who risked it all, the critical moments that define their journey, and the ideas that transform the way we live our lives. In our latest series, an HR executive named Mary Barra rises to become General Motors' first female CEO just in time to save the company from ruin. But as Mary fights to lead General Motors into the future, tragedy strikes. Listen to General Motors Back from the Dead from Business Movers on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or the Wondery app. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app to listen ad-free.